You are listening to a message by Travis Scott from our gatherings at Shorebreak. Visit shorebreakchurch.com to get connected with more content. And if you would like to support the gospel being preached in Kona and to thousands online, your tax-deductible donation enables us to further Jesus' mission. Partner with us by giving at shorebreakchurch.com backslash give. Mahalo. Aloha. Why don't you guys turn in your Bibles to Ecclesiastes. We are in Ecclesiastes chapter 8. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, uh, but you have your mobile device, they do have Bibles digital now, so you can make your way there um, that way. Because uh, if you don't have your Bible, this is going to be just a little bit more difficult for you to hang, hang in there. Uh, you can try to hang in there, and we will, but um, it's me like, it's like trying to teach you how to swim without a swimming pool. You with me? So anyway, say hey, my name's Travis. I'm one of the pastors here at Shorebreak, and I'm so blessed, so thankful that you are choosing to spend your Sunday morning with us, that you carved out this time. Uh, it's been our prayer that every Sunday, including this Sunday, would be a blessing to you. It is no accident that you're here. God wanted you to be here, and so um, we expect to hear from him and what he has to say out of Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 8, so hopefully you've made your way there to Ecclesiastes 8, and we are going to pick it up in verse 1, Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 1, and why don't we all stand right now for the reading of the scriptures, for the reading of the word of God. Verse 1, who is like the wise, and who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face shine, and the hardness of his face is changed. I say, keep the king's command, because God's oath to him. Be not hasty from, to go from his presence. Do not take your stand in an evil cause, for he does whatever he pleases. For the word of the king is supreme, and who, who may say to him, what are you doing? Whoever keeps the command will know no evil thing, and the heart and the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. For there is a time and a way for everything, although man's trouble lies heavily on him. He does not know what is to be, for who can tell him how it will be? No man has his power to retain the spirit or power over the day of death. There is no discharge from war, nor all will wickedness deliver those who are given to it. All this I observed while applying my heart to all that is done under the sun when man had power over man to his hurt. Then I saw the wicked buried. They used to go into the house of the holy place where, and were praised in the city where they had done such great things. This is also vanity." Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God, because they fear before him. But it will not be well with the wicked, neither will he prolong his days like a shadow because he does not fear before God. There is a vanity that takes place on earth and there is a righteousness. There are righteous people to whom happens according to the deeds of the wicked. 
And there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I said that this is also vanity. I commend joy. For my man has no good thing under the sun, but to eat and to drink and to be joyful. For this will go with him in his toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. When I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done on earth, now neither day nor night does one see, does one's eyes see sleep. Then I saw the work of God, that man cannot find out what is done under the sun. However much man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the scriptures. Thank you for your word. Thank you, God, that you have spoken to us and it is through your Bible. So let us have ears to hear what you would speak to us this morning. We do ask for wisdom and you tell us that if we ask for wisdom, you will give wisdom to us. Not for the sake of intellectual religion, Not for the sake of being smarter, but God, so that we would know you deeper, so that we would love you further, and so that we would realize and grasp the love that you have for us that is through your son, Jesus. Jesus, thank you for coming to this earth, leaving the riches of heaven and the wealth that you have as king and making yourself a servant on our behalf. Jesus, would you help me to be faithful to teach your word? Would you help me to speak not just with my own wisdom, but with the wisdom from your scriptures through the power of the Holy Spirit? God, we ask that you would be glorified in this time. We don't want this just to be another Sunday where we play church, but truly to have an encounter with your glory and to see you so that you would be glorified, Jesus, for you are great and you are mighty and you were powerful. We all pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, you guys can take a seat. Ecclesiastes is forcing you and I to deal with the realities of life under the sun. Solomon, who is arguably the author of the book of Ecclesiastes, is showing us what life looks like apart from God. And then when God is in the equation, how do we live in wisdom where God has placed us? The author, our preacher, is unloading wisdom to us because, because if we were as wise as we think we tend, of ourselves, God wouldn't have needed to make provision of truth through the scriptures via Ecclesiastes. If we had the wisdom that Solomon had, there would be no need for us to read Ecclesiastes, right? But because of our own sinful depravity, we all need the sobering reminder of wisdom that comes from God's word found in this book of wisdom literature. What Solomon begins with in our study this morning 
the beginning of chapter 8, is the vanity of placing our hope in kings and the leaders of the earth. See, what we do often is we, we look at the problems that we have internally and the problems that are going around us externally, and we often live, even as Christians, secularists, hoping somehow in one way or another that the problems that can be fixed uh, in this world don't have to necessarily be, be fixed with inside of us, but outside of us. Hoping that something outside of us can fix what is messed up. And so we can try to fix everything that is broken from the outside, often from the perspective of power and authority. Now, some of you have no problem with that at all. Um, you know that the governments and authorities and leadership, everyone's jacked up in your mind. Everyone's screwed up. Everyone's a sinner. I don't vote for anybody because what difference does it make? And you're just like, whatever, let, let's gonna, what's going to happen is what's going to happen. And then there are those of us who are like, no, no, no. I mean, we, we need to vote because, I mean, if we don't vote, then what's going to happen? And if we don't, if we don't know what's going to happen, then, then we don't know what's going to happen, right? And, and we, we hope that everything is going to work out, that everything is going to be fine. And so we do everything we can from external things to try to fix a lot of the problems that we are faced with. We try to, to use systems, authorities, structures to fix what is broken, I'm not saying that's necessarily a bad thing. It's good. Isn't it, is it not interesting that even those in this world, including atheists or agnostics or different people, would look upon our broken world and acknowledge that it's broken and also equally acknowledge that it needs fixing? I read an article this week. It was an interview with Bill Gates out of Rolling Stones. It, it caught my attention because the title of the article said, the richest man in the world explains how to save the planet. Now, I, I, right now, I, I don't want to throw, you know, um, Bill Gates under the bus. He is a very, very generous person. Um, will probably give more than uh, in his life financially, n- numerically, more than all of us put together ever will, uh, a thousand times. <laughs> but but w- though um, he has done great things, I found it interesting what this article had said Um, Let me read to you a portion of the article out of Rolling Stones. It says this. In his interview, the the world is a giant operating system that just needs to be debugged. Gates driving the idea, the idea that animates his life, that guides his philanthropy, that keeps him late in his sleek book-lined office overlooking Lake Washington outside Seattle. Is the hacker's notion that the code for the problems can be rewritten, that error can be fixed, that huge systems, whether it is Windows 8, global poverty, or climate change, can be improved if you have the right tools and the right skills. So we often think, well, hey, if we landscape... If we critique, if we arrest, if we correct, if we debug, if we have all the right tools, fix all that we see that is broken on the outside, is everything still fixed? There is enough food in the world to feed every soul, yet people are starving to death. Why is that? You can have all the right systems in place or even throw billions of dollars 
at everything that is broken in the world, and is everything fixed? No. It will never be fixed. Because even if you externally fix all the problems that we see with our eyes on the outside, there is a problem deeper woven within the fabric of every soul that is to say that we all, you and I, have sin and wickedness woven within our souls. So yeah, let's fix everything externally. But we're still the problem. We still have our issues. And we quickly realize that it is near impossible to fix our issues, whatever they are, even through power, even through those in authority, because power is abused. Can I get an amen, right? Power is abused. You can look at world leaders. Power has been abused. You can look at church pastors and power is abused. You can look at business owners who misuse and abuse their power. And so Solomon is looking at how under the sun, so many of us abuse the power that we have, and we, we, we in our rebellion, abuse those who are above us in one way or another. We rebel against the authority. How are we then? How are we as Christians, as God's people, as a church, to live in this world when power is corrupt and evil is gnawing at the bit at everything? Government, leadership, and churches. And he opens up with this. Truth in verse one, he says this. Who is like the wise? And who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face shine and the hardness of his face is changed. Okay, so he opens up with the way that you and I first are gonna be effective and and living in this world, living in brokenness, being surrounded by brokenness, being broken ourselves is before anything, before we try to fix anything externally, we need to be fixed internally. We first need to have the light of Christ, the good news of the gospel come, invade our dark hearts, illuminate our soul, transform our heart of flesh into a heart of stone into a heart of flesh. And in doing so, we are changed, we are transformed, we are renewed, we are regenerate, we are, we are born from above. And so then when our heart is awakened to the things of God, then and only then can we begin to not only just try to fix and attempt to fix what is broken externally, but things can be dealt with internally. Because we are being renewed. We are being transformed. There's no good washing a pig. Because a pig's going to get dirty again. So for us to attempt to wash ourselves and work on our outer man and clean our cups and polish them up like the Pharisees did while we're filthy on the inside does no one any good. We need to be regenerate. That's what he says. A man's wisdom makes his face shine, and so much so that it changes the hardness of his face. That when the gospel comes and illuminates in our dark hearts, there is a visible, even oftentimes, 
change of a person. There is evidence that their life has been changed and transformed. So here, moving on, with that idea in mind, using the government as the example, he uses government, you can use anything, any position, your boss, your spouse, insert whatever. It's the idea is someone who is in, 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 in charge, he says this, I say, in verse 2, keep the king's command. Because of God's oath to him. Do not be hasty to go from his presence. Do not take your stand in an evil cause. For he does whatever he pleases. For the word of the king is supreme. And who may say to him, what are you doing? In these verses, the core of what he is unfolding here is this truth of submission. I know you're really excited to talk about submission. It's like the favorite topic. I can't wait to talk about submission in church on Sunday because it's not popular. (laughs) It's not popular at all with our bosses, with government, with law, and all of these things. But he says in verse 4, something that's, A little bit depressing for those of us who are not in high official places. For the word of the king is supreme. Better than you. The the word of the king has, has more power than your words do, he says. Who may say to him, what are you doing? See, there is this part of us, within all of us, where we have pride against authority. We have an arrogance. And it doesn't have to be taught, right? Like, it's just something that is intrinsically known. You, you, those of you who are parents know full well, you don't have to teach your kid to be rebellious, do you? Hey, let me teach you, son, how to be rebellious against my authority. No, they, they know it. You have to teach them, if anything, to submit, to be respectful. And even if the authority is pretty good, we all, deep down within our souls, have this Stick it to the man mentality, to quote School of Rock, which is a great movie for the record. We all have this idea like rebellion is good, authority is bad, and we should never submit to authority. I felt that way when I was um, trying to start like this punk rock band when I was in junior high. We had the drums in the garage and we would all have our guitars and like, we hate authority, authority's stupid. And then it came to a point where we needed authority in the band. And so it's like, all right, well, who's going to be in charge of the band? And then one of the guys like, I'll be in charge of the band. And the rest of us are like, no, you're not. Authority is stupid. And the band fell apart, right? <laughs> See, rebellion against authority in the end is self-imploding because we all have to submit in one way or another. Because if you don't submit to the red light, it's submission. It doesn't go so well, does it? It's tax season right now. If you haven't submitted to the IRS really soon, you better, because if not, it's going to go badly. We all have submission. But the truth is, we all in our hearts have this stick-it-to-the-man mentality. We do. Um, a few weeks ago, was, we were just finishing up dinner at the table, and we were having a conversation, and um, one of my sons barked orders at me. Just, I mean, barked. Hey, Dad, I want ice cream. What do you say? Now. 
Oh, um, that wasn't exactly the word I was looking for, but uh, that's not how you talk to your father. It's not your, I'm your dad. I'm your father. You don't bark orders at me. Like, I'm your dad. You don't do that. What is the real word you should use? It's like, can I have ice cream now, please? As if somehow that would soften the blow. And I replied, no, right? No, you're not getting ice cream. Of course you're not. See, he picked up on me exposing his rebellion, but even in his rebellious state, he's like, yeah, well, please, come on. I mean, please, I'm submitting. Can you tell? Where he's bowing a knee, in a sense, in submission, externally, but internally, he's standing up, raising his fist. I want ice cream, Dad. Give me what I want. But that is often how we all submit to our bosses, to those in leadership, to those in government. Yeah, I'll submit, (laughs) not. Or we might be bending the knee, but on the inside, we are in pride and in arrogance, raising our fists at those in leadership. He was saying the external thing, but internally he wasn't submitting because submission is more than just saying the right words. Submission is the aim and the direction of your heart. That is to say that we would stay low, that we would be lowly, that we would esteem others better than ourselves, even if they're not better, so that it doesn't get to our head, so that we're not a prideful people. And he says this in verse 3, Do not be hasty to go from his presence. Do not take your stand in an evil cause, for he does whatever he, he pleases. So he says when it comes to respecting those in authority, Don't be careless. Don't be brash. Don't be rash. Don't be full of yourself. Humble yourself. Submit yourself. Remember, there is always going to be a bigger fish in the sea than you. That's what he's saying. There's going to be someone bigger who has more authority, who has more intellect, who has more power. So don't be so full of yourself. And then he says this in verse 5, talking to submission, talking about submission. Whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing. And the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. We don't submit to everyone. When we were talking about submission this morning, don't think, all right, I need, to, I need to submit to my boyfriend. No, you don't. He's your boyfriend. He's not your husband. Don't submit to him. Don't submit to a person who is requiring you to be dis- disobedient of what the scripture says. We are talking about biblical submission. So as far as what the Bible says you should submit to, you submit. The moment it becomes a sin, the Bible would say, you don't submit to that. So the government says, Hey, you got to stop praying, got to stop gathering on a Sunday morning and stop, stop preaching the word. Well, guess what? Not going to happen. You can't bring your Bibles to work or post. I mean, no, it's not going to happen. I mean, as long as you're reading it on your lunch break, not during work, okay? So there is the right place and a wrong place in submission. So he says, be careful who you are submitting to. Use discretion where you work. Be mindful of submission 
in where you work. Be mindful and using discretion and choosing your friends. Because a friendship, it is going to work. It takes one friend submitting to another friend for there to be a friendship. Who you desire to date or marry. Be careful who you are going to give your heart and you, your life to. Because there is submission even there. It says use discretion in submission to who you will be submitting to because they will influence you in one way or another. For look at verse four. For the evil, for the word of the king is supreme. Who can say to him, what are you doing? See, the reality is once you submit yourself to a, rela- to a relationship, to a friendship, to a spouse, to be, to a boss, or to someone in some type of leadership authority, even a church, even a church, once when you are willing to submit, what can oftentimes happen is you are no longer in the place of authority or leadership. You are now in a place where you have to do what they say. You are now uh, in a position where you um, can often be seduced and pulled away into sin because you are in submission. And he says, don't be hasty with submission. Because once you take the job, once you rekindle that friendship that you shouldn't rekindle, or become friends with people that are going to only take you down, or once you say yes to that complete loser of a guy or that complete loser of a girl for marriage, you are giving wisdom the finger, and now you are no longer on top and in charge, but you are now in submission, and you're not in charge of the organization or the relationship. You were just a pawn in the hands of players that are bigger than you. Honestly, that's that's what he's saying. That's the reality. I know that's not like, oh, I'm so happy to hear that. I'm a pawn in the hand of others. Well, it's true. And because of this abuse of power, we read this in verse 6. For there is a time and a way for everything, although man's troubles lie heavily on him. Talk to those, talk story with those who said yes to the wrong boss. Talk story with those who open up their life in submission to friends that they never should have. Or opened up themselves to a marriage where they are manipulated and injured and abused. And they will agree with what Solomon has said in these verses. They would agree that it lies heavily on them because of their trouble. Please be careful. How do we be careful? Verse 5. Whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing. And the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. We need wisdom. And we need wisdom and understanding our own heart. If it's going to work out, if we're going to be okay, if we're going to make it through and navigating this life when corruption is around us and when we ourselves are corrupt, especially when it comes to authorities and power, we need wisdom. We need to understand our own heart. All that to say, you need to hear me on this. No 
what God has called you to do biblically. Know what God has required of you. Know what God has required of you. I, um, those of you guys, most of you were not here. I th- there's only one person who goes to this church who was here on day two. So they remember the small, really small, awkward beginnings of, of Shorebreak. Um, Shorebreak actually started out as a, as a um, well, we are still a church plant um, going nowhere. I mean, when we say church plant, we're just still young. But um, uh, Shorebreak started as a community group in my living room. Um, spring of 2012, and then um, we began kind of looking for a building, praying where God would have us, and so we contacted uh, the Calvary Chapel that was at the time over this building, and this was their building, and so um, we ended up working on an agreement where we would rent from them on a Sunday night so we can just start meeting having a space to meet. And so we actually, the theater on the other side of this wall right here, we, that's where we met, and so we started in there on Sunday nights because um, Sunday nights uh, was, I mean, they were meeting on Sunday morning, so we couldn't intrude with them, and that's why none of you are here. It was on Sunday night, right? No one goes, Sunday night, what? So, so church was over there, and it was rough, and it humble beginnings, and there were some stages that it was like, uh, yeah, God, you're going to have to pull through because this is not going to work if you don't show up. And so we're meeting, and sure enough, though, you know, one family comes, and then someone gets saved, and then someone else comes, another, and then before we know it, like, God's beginning to build his church, and he's adding to his church, and it was so crazy to see it go from a living room to him not, like, growing it, and so then, um, come November time uh, of 2012, I'm meeting with the leaders who are over this building, and I told them and the board, I said, hey, just so you guys know, we're going to be looking for a new building, because, um, you know, we're, we're growing, and, and, and we need a new space, and we're kind of over Sunday nights because, yeah, it's Sunday night, and, and so can we just get out from, you know, we're just going to, just so you guys know, we're going to get out, and they said, oh, hold on, hold on, hold on, before you go anywhere, we need to meet, and so I met with the pastor and, um, and their board, and so they sat down and shared with me, hey, we're actually tired, we feel like we're, we're, we're kind of done, and, and um, shore breaks, God's clearly building, sh- you know, shore break and he's showing up and he's doing um something special like how would you know would you guys feel about taking you know this church and assuming the building and assuming the people and everything and kind of having them merge under it and i was like wow like that's pretty cool <laughs> like pretty daunting and and fearful at the same time but as exciting as it was at first i knew what god had required of me I knew what God had biblically called me to do. And so I sat down with them and I had conversation with them. I said, hey, listen, I'm honestly honored that you ask, but there are certain things that are going to happen because our vision as a church, God called us to plant this church to make much of Jesus, to amplify Jesus. And anything that gets in the way of amplifying Jesus and anything that slows down our vision of making much of Jesus is going to have to go. And so then began the negotiations for the next four months of what about this? What about this? Well, what about this? Yes, no. And so there is this conversation. And had I not known what biblically God had called me to do before the meeting, we could, I'm not saying these guys are wicked, but there is submission that needed to take place on both sides. They needed to submit to me and I needed to submit to some of their requests. And it, it was good. You know, it was, it was good. 
but it was painful and it was difficult and it took a long time. And then, of course, um, come February, February 10th of 2013, so a little over a year ago, we um, had our first Sunday morning gathering uh, next door. And then since then, we've moved in here and, and God has been faithful to do what God has done. I had to be very careful and they had to be careful as well who we were submitting to. We have to use discretion. Church, you need to use discretion in who you are going to submit to because who you submit to, you're allowing them to be an influence in your life. Don't disobey and destroy what God has called you to do. Look at verse 5 again. Whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing. And the wise heart, the wise heart will know, will know without a doubt the proper time and the just way. Solomon is saying that you need to know who you are in Christ and what Christ has called you to do before opportunity comes knocking at the door. Before a situation requires your submission. And when we know from the start who we are in Christ and what Jesus has called us to do, Solomon says in verse 5, our decision will be made at the right time and keep us on the path of the gospel working itself out in our life. All right, I get it. Submission. Okay. How does this work out practically then? Knowing who we are and what God has called us to do. Are you faced with a decision to take that new job? Right? Well, okay, let's say it's, it is a new job and you're faced with the decision, should I take the new job or not? Well, what is God required of you? I mean, are you married? You probably don't want to take a 90-hour-a-week job or a 100-hour-a-week job if you're married. Oh, you have kids? Are there benefits? Where is the boss at? Where is the boss going? Are you going to travel with your boss? Is it going to wreak havoc on your personal life or on your marriage? Are you, is it going to require you work like 50 hours extra overtime a week? So now you're working 160 hours a week, even though there only are around 160 hours in a week. What is it going to require of you? Or when you begin to spend time with new friends, or maybe you rekindle the relationship and an old friendship. Bring, that, are they bringing you closer to Jesus? Are they bringing you into a relationship with him? Or are they pulling you down? Or, or are they siphoning you away? Because in your submission to them and your friendship, they aren't bringing you closer to Jesus. They're taking you away from Jesus. Know what God has called you to do. Or when you are in a serious relationship. Say, say marriage, Right? For those of you who are maybe engaged to get married, let me just ask you right now, or you're in a dating relationship, are they going to guard and care for your sexual purity? Is that guy going to be a leader to you? Is that girl, does she have the same affection for Jesus as you do? Do they love Jesus the same way? Know what God has biblically called you to do, to do. And here's the thing. You have to know what God has biblically called you to do before you're in the backseat of the car at sunset. You have to know what God has biblically called you to do before you take the 90 hour a week or a 100 hour a week job. 
Because verse 5 says, notice this, look at verse 5 with me. Whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing. You guys hear that? Whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing. You cannot control the seasons of your life or the times of your life, but you can control how you handle them when they come to you. Know who you are in Christ. Know who you are in Christ. So when the ministry opportunity comes, when the boss asks you if you're going to take that position, if they want to take your hand in marriage, or if you should hang out with them at that day, or at that time or not, well, because you know who you are in Christ, you know the path to take. You know where to go because you have wisdom. Verse 7. For he does not know what is to be. Who can tell him how it will be? Who can predict the future? No man has the power to retain the spirit or the power of the day of death. There is no discharge for more, nor all wickedness delivered from those who are given it. I... All this I observed while applying my heart to all this is done under the sun when a man had power over man to his hurt. So what are you saying here? You got to see this. Even if you are perfectly submissive, even if you do everything that God has required of you, it doesn't mean that boss is going to be like, hey man, you did such a good job. Yes, you deserve the raise. Or you work on that school project with the other students and you're working really hard and all your others, you just want to be noticed and no one notices the work that you've put in. Even if we're perfectly submissive, doing everything we can, it's not, there's no guarantee. He says, you're, even at the end, you're going to die. I love Solomon. Like this depressing dude always brings it down to the lowest common denominator. By the way, in case you're wondering, you're going to die anyways. So be obedient to what God has called us to do. And everything else, church, everything else is held together by his sovereignty. Right? You don't control the season. You don't control the rain. The rest is in God's hands. Verse 10, this is interesting. Look down at verse 10, what he, what he says here. This is super interesting. Then I saw the wicked buried. They used to go in and out of the holy place and were praised in the city where they had done such great things. This is also vanity because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily. The heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. So he says, those who are celebrities, those who are our heroes, those who we look up to, even those who do the work of God and ministry, he says, they're sinners just like everyone else. One day, they're super popular. They have a bunch of friends on Facebook. You know, the, the, the town, their reputation in the community is like, hey, yeah, this guy's awesome. Look at, or this girl, she's so great. And then the next day, they're doing evil. They're in the house of God one day, and then the next day, they're doing whatever the heck they want. See, just because they have a big platform, just because they have influence, just because they have power, or just because they are part of a great institution, maybe even, maybe even a church, 
does not mean they are sinless people. See, as talented as they might be, as smart as they are, as powerful as they are, and as of all they accomplished, in the end they are sinners, and in the end no glory should ever be given to man, only to God. Because it was God who gave him the brain. It's God who gave him the talent. It's God who gives him the grace to accomplish all that they accomplish. See, what we need to do, people, is stop putting our dirty hands on the glory that is only due for God and not due for man and not due for us or not due for anyone. Because when you put someone on a pedestal, it could be a spouse, it could be a child, it could be a a boss, it could be a pastor or pastors or leadership or celebrities. When you put anyone on a pedestal other than God, the only direction they can go is down. It's the only place they can fall is low. Theologian Jonathan Edwards says, Those whom you idolize, you demonize. One day you're idolizing them, they're on a pedestal. The next day you're frustrated because your idol did not deliver what it had expected. And you demonize them. And Solomon declares in verse 10, this is also vanity. You guys need to hear me on this. Um, I know many of you have been part of other churches here in Kona. Not all of you, but many of you. Some of you have been saved through short break by the grace of Jesus and him alone. But those of you who have been around churches in Kona, I know the history here. I know you've been burned. And I'm sorry for that. Um, I know pastors um, who've done that and people in ministry and I'm not here to say all right here's shore break now shore break is not going to fail you Travis and the pastoral team is not going to fail you I'm going to fail you we are not going to be able to meet all of your expectations or we are going to disappoint you maybe small maybe big, if we haven't already done so. You're like, this sermon is already going too long. You've disappointed me. See, told you. We are not a perfect people, which means we will never be a perfect church. I don't want to let you down. I don't want to let you down, but I am going to let, we are going to let you down. But as long as our sights are set on Christ, as long as Jesus is our object of worship, as long as it is him who we exalt and lift up high and make much of, no matter what sin or no matter what issues or no matter troubles happen in our church family, we can come to one another in honesty and say, you know what, I am sorry. There are people that I am trying to reach out to right now that I know because of my own pride I have offended and they are not here this Sunday morning because of what I have done. We are sinners. I am a sinner. We are going to fail you. And when we fail one another, when we disappoint, when we let one another down, the question is, will we model out the gospel? 
Because the gospel is never more clear and evident than when we are willing to, in times of difficulty in relationship with one another, it is never more evident than when one person who has offended another person can come together and say, I'm an idiot, I'm sorry. And that's why, you know, when I meet new people, or I sit down and, and have a meeting with someone who's, you know, excited about shore break and one of the first things to say, hey, I'm so glad you're here. Just so you know, we're going to let you down. Oh, okay. Wow. <laughs> this is why we should spend more time glorifying and making much of Jesus than making much of mortal man. It was God's plan of redemption before the stars were flung into existence that there only be one Savior and one King, and His name is Jesus. And anyone else that you place your hope in, that you put a pedestal on, that you build your life upon, anyone else other than Christ will let you down and will disappoint you. Know who you are in Christ and know we are all sinners and we are going to disappoint one another. Verse 11. Then, be, then the sentence against the evil deed is not executed speedily. The heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times, it prolongs his life. Isn't that frustrating? You like see that person? You're like doing everything right but everything's somehow going wrong and everything for them is they're doing wrong, but everything's going so right. Like they never study for the test and they get an A and you study 50 hours and you get a C minus. That's the story of my life. Um, Yet I know God, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God because they feared before him, but it will not be well with the wicked. Neither will he prolong his days like a shadow because he does not fear before God. There is a vanity that takes place on the earth that there is a righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked. And there are wicked people whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I said that this is also vanity. It's interesting what Solomon, our preacher here, is saying. What people think is because we have yet faced the consequences of the sin that we're doing, or that even though we've been sinning, God's judgment hasn't come yet, we think, hey, maybe God's cool with what I'm doing. Maybe because... I haven't faced the consequences of sin. Maybe because I haven't faced God's judgment yet, maybe God approves of what I'm doing. Maybe God is okay with that. But he says, well, for the person who fears and loves God, it will be well with them. But for the sinner in negligence, even though their life of sin is prolonged and everything just seems to be going so perfect for them, even while they're sinning, it doesn't mean he says, it's going to end well. Does No guarantee by any means that it is going to end well. Psalm 103.8 says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. He is slow to anger. Doesn't mean he's not angry, and it doesn't mean he isn't going to get more angry if that is where you are at, but he is slow to anger. And just so you know, from the research I've done, that shows up 
at least 18 times throughout the entire Bible, which is a very common appearance. Yes, the Lord is gracious and merciful, but he, and he is slow to anger, but that doesn't mean because he's slow to anger, he's like, all right, just keep on sinning, bro. I'm so happy for you. Things are going so well. If you are playing in sin, thinking God has approved of it because nothing has happened, be very careful this morning. I'm telling you right now, be very careful. Do not be deceived, Galatians 6, 7. God is not mocked. We can't pull a fast one on God. Solomon tells you and I that we will see someone sin a hundred times. Only good will happen to them. No bad will happen to them. But we should be very careful at looking at this temporary world without eternity in mind. Because we cannot fully know God's ways, but we do know that even though they might be getting away with it right now, or maybe you might be getting it away with it right now, it's not cliche, it's truth. Judgment is coming, and the judgments of God will stand forever. If you are that person dabbling in sin, this morning, so that grace may abound. Stop flirting with your sin and destroy it. Sin will take you further, sin will hold you longer, and sin will make you pay, will cost you more than you are willing to pay. Repent, please, please, repent. God doesn't approve of it. Judgment is coming. But he is gracious and he is merciful and he will forgive you and he will cleanse you. We gotta wrap it up here. Verse, uh, Look down at verse 15 here in closing. And I commend joy. I know it's been kind of heavy, right? All that to say, I commend joy. You can have joy. There is joy to be found in Christ. Christianity is, yes, about death. The death of Christ, the death of our own flesh. And the, but Christianity is also about the resurrection, the resurrection of Christ and the resurrection of our dead life, which has now been brought alive in Christ Jesus. And he says, like, you can have joy. You can have joy. I commend joy for a man has no good thing under the sun but to eat and to drink and to be joyful. For this will go with him in his toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. So how do we live in a world of sin when people are power tripping, when people are abusing power, or people have been abused by power, when we don't fully understand our identity in Christ? Well, he says here, if wisdom has taken root, If you have found your identity in the accomplished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, fully paying for your sin, 
If you know what Christ has called you to do, what God has required of you, meaning if you're a husband, that means you were a husband. That means your spouse is your first priority, even more than your children. But the next is your children. If you have a problem with that, read the Bible, okay? It's the Bible. It's our relationship with God. If we're married, it's our relationship with our spouse. If we have kids, then it's our children, and then it is our work. That is what God has required. Are you single? God has required that you would be sexually pure. If you are, for everyone in here, God has required of you that you would be in the word. God has required of you that you would know that your identity is in the gospel and that it is no longer what you have to do for Christ, but what Christ has done for you. Okay, so let's just say, though, hypothetically, because maybe it's true for some of us, not all of us, if the gospel has taken root, if we know our identity, if we are, in fact, which some of you probably are, maybe not perfectly, but pretty close, doing all that God has required of you. You are in the word, you are reading, you are praying, you are, you are growing in the gospel and doing all of these things. What's next? Eat, drink, and be joyful. Take it easy. If you're in the word and if your priorities are right and ultimately you're being transformed by the gospel and Jesus is king and Lord over your life and all these practical areas are working, what's next? Like have a dinner. Have some fun. Stop taking yourself so seriously. We're not saying kick it in cruise control. But his yoke is easy, his burden is light. Enjoy what God would have. Keep trusting in Jesus. Because at the end of the day, no one is greater than Jesus and nothing can be changed because he is king. And if you're doing everything that God has required of you, let me encourage you, keep going. Keep pressing. Keep asking the Holy Spirit and he will supply the strength to you and to me. We'll be able to fight this fight and we will be able to finish this race well. And we will be able to do what verse 5 says. Whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing. May we be a people who not just like we're doing it right now, hear the word of God on Sunday, but live the word of God, breathe the word of God, so that we would know no evil thing. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time that we have to be and to study your word, which is true, which is alive, which is transforming us even now and to be more like Jesus. And so for those who are in here at church this morning, for those of us, God, maybe we've lived in rebellion and we've been rebelling against authority and inwardly, Outwardly, maybe we're submitting, but inwardly, we are rebelling against authority. May we be quick to come to the table of grace and eat what you would have for us, that we would come to a place of forgiveness, God. We need your grace. We need your forgiveness, Lord Jesus. And God, 
Maybe there are those of us this morning, maybe there are those of you this morning that the word has gone out and we've shared and we've talked and maybe you have been dabbling in sin and you've been kind of toying with this thing and you've realized through the word of God that God has illuminated to you that area that you need to repent of. Have that moment with God right now and repent from it. Give that thing to God. And maybe right now you are the Christian, you've fought the good fight, you are still fighting, and you're doing all that God has required of you. Rest. God gave you a Sabbath. He he took a day of rest, and so should you. And joy, Solomon commends joy to you through the word of God. Enjoy God. Have fun. Take it easy. Don't take yourself so seriously. God, thank you for this time that we have in your word. May you be glorified. May we be continuously doing what you have required of us so that we would be far from evil. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We hope that Jesus is doing a work in your life from the message that you just heard. We would love to hear how you were impacted and what was impressed on your heart. Share your story by emailing connect at shorebreakchurch.com. And if you don't know Jesus as God, Lord and Savior, or you have more questions, send us an email to info at shorebreakchurch.com so we can get you dialed in with a free Bible and resources for your new relationship with Jesus.